I almost don't know where to begin with this episode. This is a season two recap going into season three of the Mr. Thrive podcast. I've actually hesitated to record this because there's no script. This is just going to be me speaking from the heart, recapping on everything that took place from season two to what is now season three. And looking back at it now, thinking about all the things that have completely taken place, it's mostly a blur at this point. And I can't believe that I've made it to this point. If you were to tell me a year ago that I would be coming out of a pandemic, that my company would actually be my primary source of income, that if you were to tell me I was just leaving my family's home because I lived with them for about 10 months and was about to be living on my own in Culver City, I wouldn't believe you. If you were to tell me that I had formed an effective network, an effective network in which I've built a ton of friendships from, I wouldn't believe you. I suppose we should just start from the very beginning. COVID-19 was just a whisper, and I had released a recording that I did with my girlfriend at the time, Shelly Davis. She never liked the question I had about what will you be famous for? She actually detested it and told me many times, and even during the interview, I cut this part out, but she was even cringing at me asking her the question, but she was bold enough to want to be on the podcast, and I said, sure, absolutely, let's get you recorded, and this was her answer for what she would be famous for. (sighs) Yeah, it is really hard for me to answer this question because I actually don't really think in terms of what am I going to be famous for, but... um, if I'm required to articulate this <laughs> and say it, you are. Um, um, I feel like I identify more with the word success, but if I'm going to be known, I, I really strongly think it's going to be for being an interdisciplinary like storyteller and artist. As soon as we finish that, you know, now we're going into late March and this COVID-19 thing has become a little bit more than just a whisper. The quarantine has gone into effect and What was so heartbreaking about this time for me was that I, prior to that, had been spending months and months planning a Lake Tahoe birthday trip with my girlfriend and several friends from the Bay Area and Los Angeles. I had to say goodbye to all of that. And even though I had a really delicious steak dinner with my family, I was sad. Months and months of planning gone down the chute. But some exciting things were happening at that time. The first one was that I was actually moving in with my girlfriend. And the other thing as well was that I was starting a full-time job at this nonprofit called the PJ Library. And this little side hustle of producing podcasts was becoming a little bit more of a thing. I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Menachem Kashanian, who calls himself the Persian Mr. Bean, a fantastic guy. And when I asked him, what will you be famous for? This is what he said. I'll probably be famous for Dr. Shirazi. On top of everything that I've, I've been wanting to push, that's probably going to naturally just grow and become its own thing. Whether it's because I do something illegal as Dr. Shirazi or, or if it actually picks up. That was actually the last interview that I did in person. The mask mandate had not really gone into effect yet. Comes early April and I begin to interview some more individuals in my life. Oh boy, uh, do I have to be famous? Can I just can I just be a successful uh, movie producer and no one knows who I am? A famous director or writer or uh, actor, all of them. <laughs> For my choreography and that it 
moves people and it brings people together. Towards May, I began to realize some of the major benefits of being in a pandemic where I could actually interview people from all over the world. So I actually did my first international interview with Neil Watson. I'm already famous in my house. I believe in fairness. I'm a Libran. I believe in balance. Uh, and I think if I see any kind of injustice in this world, if I see somebody being picked upon by whatever, I don't like that. So if I'm famous for being the guy that saw the fair side of everything and said, if people said, you know what, he always kind of stood up for the right side and made sure that we walk forward, you know, on a level basis, that would that would make me the happiest man in the world. At the time, I was beginning to really enjoy my full-time job, although it definitely was stressful. I was gaining a lot of new skills. Things were going really great with my girlfriend at the time. And by the way, I didn't just move in with my girlfriend. I also moved in with Izzy Salant. And around this time, we began to explore what hosting networking events could look like. This was around early May. And I eventually, in this time frame, brought Izzy in as my business coordinator slash community outreach. And the reason why not just community outreach, because I knew that he had skills and had certain insight that I absolutely needed. I did not understand the technicalities, the inside workings of how business operates. And also he had a deep understanding of law. So he helped me draft some of my contracts. And while it certainly wasn't professional legal services, it certainly was something more than if I were just to write something on a piece of paper. Izzy had that natural understanding to law. I began interviewing more people from around the country. And I interviewed this amazing girl from high school who is so talented, Yael Karoli. I hope that I am famous or I have a legacy for many different things. A part of half my heart wants to tell you that I want to be famous for being, you know, the star of a new Broadway musical. Another part of my heart wants me to be famous for my music and what I have to say and the music that I want to release to the world. So I'm just going to say both of those things and along with whatever, whatever will come to me in the coming experiences of my life. Towards the end of that month, I'll never forget this moment with Shelly and I working in her room. Both of our desks were next to each other and I'll never forget, she had a meeting with her boss, and she was actually expecting, given the budget discussion with the school that she was working for, that she was expecting a raise. But instead, she was laid off. And I'll never forget how it's like the whole world was filtered into a new color because the whole tonality of life changed from that moment on. And that's when I began to feel vulnerable about my job, too. And I didn't know how to handle that in the healthiest way. I wasn't open and willing to have a conversation with Shelly about what that would mean for our relationship. She wasn't from California. She was from Texas, which means there was a great chance that this would turn into a long distance. And I was never open to doing long distance. Another thing that changed the tonality at the time was the fact that George Floyd had been killed and this new wave of the Black Lives Matter movement sparked within Los Angeles, all over the world for that matter. Being 
deep within West LA, being right outside UCLA in the Westwood area, there was a bit of concern for the protesting occurring in the Santa Monica area. I wasn't sure how that was going to impact my neighborhood, and because the event was so new, part of me was mildly worried about riots. We took some mild precautions, keeping the lights on at night, but overall nothing really happened in our neighborhood. I decided in this moment, I wanted to capitalize on the idea of promoting the values of my company by supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. And so in doing so, I brought on Zaria Simone, a black actor and poet and newfound activist. First of all, I want to be, I just want to thank you for asking me the famous question. I will be famous for kindness. I suppose the relevancy of minorities was always important to me but it became more important than ever before during this time. And I was excited by it because it meant that this company can be a company of values, Mr. Thrive Media. I want everyone to feel like, no matter what their background is, that they can be empowered by what we're doing. And so I started to bring on more people of color like Andres Trujillo, a queer content creator. I would say creating a space for complex characters from a POC and LGBT uh, perspective. And by me telling these stories and, you know, allowing other people to see themselves on screen will give them the courage and the drive to either do it themselves or help other communities do the same creating those stories that really haven't been heard and allowing other people to do the same, like empowering other people. That's my next web series. <laughs> now in this time, I actually had the worst week of my life and I will never forget the serendipity of it all. Shelly earlier that month had left and our relationship was over. And because of the reality that we had to face that last month with Shelly and I was the most gray, bleak experience of my life, living and sleeping in the same bed, in the same space as someone who was already planning for the next phase. And you're trying to muster up as much happiness as possible, but, but no matter how much of a cheerleader you tried to be, you were just met with failure. And it was still sad, and there was a resentment created, and there was, in some ways, what I feel like a a forced perspective change that raised the fog in so many different ways as to what our relationship actually was and so many different things that made me question, you know, what this thing was that I lived with. It's hard to explain. I, I feel like I'm coming up with very abstract ideas and concepts from what I'm saying, but what I'm getting at is my sense of home was gone. And... In this time, Shelly had left mid-June, and it was just me and Izzy living together. And comes the last week of June going into early July, and she actually was coming back to pick up the remainder of her stuff. She only drove a small sedan, so it was impossible for her to pick up her belongings and bring it in one swoop. She came back with her family, and on the Tuesday of this week, I'll never forget being at work, and watching her pack up her things behind me, jumping on a few different Zoom calls with her parents and her moving things behind me. I'll never forget the pure sadness of that day. I'm seeing 
my ex for the first and last time of that time frame. I'm trying to help them. I'm doing my best to stay active at work because it's happening during the business hours of the nonprofit I'm working for. But there's also a twinge of excitement for what's coming later that day. What made that day so special, aside from the fact that I'd be seeing my ex again, was that Izzy and I were hosting the very first networking event of the company. It was also the day I'd be leaving a fellowship that I had been partaking in for a year. And between work and the fellowship and the networking party, there were only 30-minute gaps in between. Hardly any enough time to process my emotions. That day, when Shelly had finished packing up everything, I wanted to give her a hug goodbye because I knew it probably was going to be the last time I hugged her for a very long time, if ever. She would not hug me because of COVID, so she said. And I will never forget that awful feeling. And I knew earlier that day that Izzy, who was the one who introduced us, got to enjoy a lunch with them. And I had never felt jealousy like that before, and I'm not a jealous person by any means. But that was jealousy. When the fellowship started, which Izzy was also in, I did my best to slap on a smile, and I didn't want anything to do with Izzy in that moment. I was jealous and angry at Izzy just for being the friend that was now favored in the situation. But I got through the fellowship, said my goodbyes, stayed professional. I went on a brief walk around the neighborhood after that. And then we hosted our very first networking event. We had a resounding attendance. People thoroughly enjoyed it. The virtual performances by Sir Jeremy Green and Kendra Mickey, who are both from season one of the podcast, performed beautifully. Everyone had a super fun time. It was everything I could have wanted in a networking event. Izzy and I learned a ton from this experience, and we decided to carry out the same model for the rest of our time networking. But I'll never forget the distinct feeling of adrenaline rushing through me as soon as the event was over because people had connected because of us. Izzy and I had chills and we actually met each other in the hallway of our house after that. Any feeling of resentment or jealousy or anger, it was gone. And I gave him the biggest hug I could because that man stood by my side and helped me pull off something really special. We knew we had cracked into something really meaningful when we could see that everyone who partook in the event cared about being there, wanted to keep on collaborating, and built up this phenomenal experience. The next day was a pretty normal day. Work went as usual. My boss was actually happy with my work. I was fine. Then came Thursday, and I was on a phone call with my boss, asking her a few questions, when suddenly I received a sudden email from HR of the nonprofit. It was an email telling me it was time to go that I had been laid off because of budget cuts. And with how the union worked within this nonprofit, even though I wasn't the one who was originally called to be laid off, because of seniority, I was the one bumped and taken off of this nonprofit's employment. And I was about to move to Culver City. I had these plans to move in with this guy who seemed really cool, who was also in film. That excited me to be in an environment that was exciting and had arts and entertainment involved, you know? 
That was really cool. And my boss had no idea, by the way. It wasn't up to her. I remember calling up my boss right away. All she could say was sorry. And then I called up my parents and I told them, hey guys, I'm, I'm going to be moving in with you now. I just got laid off and I don't have the funds to support myself. And they said, okay. Without question, they took me in. They were very, very supportive. And I love my mom and dad so much for saying, okay, Lori and Joel Volk, you guys have changed my life. Quick history lesson. There's a Viking named Harold Bluetooth. And you might recognize the name Bluetooth from the technology of today. That is true that Harold Bluetooth inspired Bluetooth technology of wireless communication. Harold Bluetooth was one of the first European leaders to actually use smoke signals, AKA wireless or non-physical forms of communicating. Because of Harold Bluetooth's sense of communication, he was able to warn the inland as soon as invaders arrived on shore. It was impressive and marked a part of his history. Other lesser known facts about Harold Bluetooth is that Harold Bluetooth actually did eat a lot of blueberries and because of that, his teeth became blue. But the reason why I bring up Harold Bluetooth is because of his leadership and the way he did night raids. You get the expression, burn your ships. And what does burning your ships mean? Burning your ships is an expression that describes going full speed ahead because you have nothing left to lose. You see, when Harold Bluetooth would arrive on shore to lead his men in a night raid, as it was tradition for Viking leaders to do, the first thing Harold Bluetooth did that was different was he would burn the very ships they arrived on. Imagine you're just a foot soldier following Harold Bluetooth. You have a wife and kids at home. In doing so, your leader tells you to burn the very ships you arrived on. The only way to win is to survive. There is no retreat. There is no tomorrow. You have to fight to the bitter end. That's what burning your ships means. This was my moment where my ships were burned. So I decided to pursue Mr. Thrive Media full time in that very moment, as soon as I got laid off. But in the meantime, I had a panic attack and I crawled into a corner of this bedroom that used to be Shelly and I's and cried because I didn't know what I was going to do. The next day, Izzy and our friend Emma took me on a hike and it was nice to get out, but my head definitely was in another place and I think emotionally I was still in shock. On the 4th of July, which was the next day, on Saturday, I met up with two other friends, Jordan and Sam, and while playing Three Flags Up is when I sprained my ankle. I remember being on the ground of this park, crying, just thinking to myself, of course this is how the week would end. Emma and Izzy would go ahead and buy me a cane, because it was that hard to walk. Luckily, my physical trainer, Eli, had helped me with some physical therapy that he had remembered from his college experience. I'll never forget, with a swollen foot, curling up a blanket underneath my feet, and then picking up pen caps and dropping them into a cup every morning. Around that time, I had just gotten into running, so it was especially soul-crushing to not be able to run anymore for a long period of time. However, it was nice to walk around the neighborhood as much as I could, where I came across an amazing chalk drawing on the floor. This chalk drawing was the cat from Alice in Wonderland. 
and it was drawn so perfectly it had a very specific angle that you had to look at it in order to see it just right. Luckily, the Instagram handle was also chalked in right next to the art piece and so I naturally reached out to the person. To my surprise, Naomi Dubin replied and said, yes, I would like to be on your podcast. This is what Naomi said as to what she would be famous for. I will be famous for, so far keywords come to mind. Color comes to mind, um, pers personability, being personable. I think it's the artist behind the art. I think I'm gonna be famous for, for me and my personality and then people falling in love with, with, with maybe the artwork first, but then who I am and then and then loving that they get to have something that I made because they love me so much. It sounds arrogant, but I'm getting a taste of it. I'm, I'm beginning to understand that that if I'm there at the art show, then people will buy the art versus if it's just the art standing alone. So I'll be famous for the whole package. <laughs> I also around this time decided to release an old interview that I had done with a friend named Vasi. And Vasilia Belacon had said this, in our experimental interview that we did walking around the USC campus outside as I recorded her the way a sound mixer would on a film set. I, I feel like I, I come up with crazy ideas that are like very out there that I don't think other people really think about. So hopefully one day I think about some crazy movie show idea that um, people will watch and be like, wow, this is dope. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I think like just, just some crazy film or show. We'll see. <laughs> Enthused by further pushing the limits, I decided to interview a kink activist and filmmaker, Aria Lee. Ideally, it would definitely be my films. I don't really know what that film is yet, but hopefully it's something I'm really passionate about. Hopefully it's a story I've been dreaming about and thinking about for ages. Um, but at the same time, now that I think I'm steadily becoming more and more serious about my dominatrix career. I'm definitely working on my online presence and my goal is to be like one of those big kink education and representation like Instagram accounts and probably to do like a documentary web series about kink because I just feel like I have a really good look into that world. So hopefully maybe something to do with that as well. <laughs> Her unique perspective piqued my interest and also told me a lot about the developing world of sexual education. Now around mid to late August, I began to run again. My foot had recovered and I began to take running a lot more seriously. And I would run about a mile every single day. Looking out my window from my bedroom, there's an amphitheater in the neighborhood I live in where there's a mall attached to it. And every few nights at this amphitheater, there's actually a group of tricksters and performers who show up. And one night, after finishing a run, I came across a bunch of fire dancers. Lo and behold, I meet this really nice guy, Kenton McDougall, who by far was the best out of the whole entire group of performers. Naturally, I asked him onto the podcast. Probably just being that crazy fire nunchuck dude. Like, that's... that's... That's the, the only thing I can think of, the, the fire nunchuck guy. <laughs> One thing that was really interesting about that interview was that that was Kenton's first time using Zoom, and we were already a few months into the pandemic. 
One thing I had to do when starting this podcast was at some point interview the guy who inspired me to start pursuing film, and that is Nick Benjamin. He is the longtime friend who opened my eyes to what movie magic is. I knew it would be too low-hanging fruit to invite him onto the podcast in season one, so I decided to wait at least one season before I interviewed him, and so I brought on Nick Benjamin. I, you know, it's funny because I've been listening to your podcast since it started and I've been contemplating this one for a while and it, it took me a while to kind of put it together to the point where like I even had to ask my sister like, what do you think is going to make me famous? And then my sister was like, stop texting me. And I'm like, all right, thanks for your help. But um, a shout out. I love you, Tossie. But I think I think one of the things that I'm going to be no like I think and I don't I don't define myself as someone who like is going to be famous like i i think if people are able to to watch what i create or enjoy what i create then i'm already successful as it is but i think what i'm going to be known for most is being incredibly collaborative because i you know there's so many ideas that i have on my own that i know could be done so much better and in like a timely fashion and and just in and itself be a collaborative moment when i get more people into it and when i when I collaborate with writers and I collaborate with directors and producers and editors and you name it, I, I think being being someone who's open to collaboration is is definitely key, especially in this industry, especially now. And I think that's something I'm going to be very well known for. And I, at least I hope that people will be able to say, "Yeah, that's Nick. He's able to he's able to take a note. He's able to to know other people's ideas too." Further going down the rabbit hole as to the different types of arts that I could include in this podcast, I found that one of my old friends, who was in a previous film I had made in 2018, was now doing stop motion animation. Elena Lopolato and I had one of the first discussions on our podcast talking about mental health and how serious it was. Alongside her answer about what she would be famous for, she also provided a great list of resources that people who are suffering from mental illness can utilize to stay healthy. Be sure to check out her episode 39, Open Sesame, to learn more about those resources. Open Sesame? (laughs) That's the hope. (laughs) I definitely think Open Sesame is gonna grow exponentially in the next, I'm guaranteeing in the next three to five years, Open Sesame will be on a much larger scale. In early October, I did another international interview, this time interviewing Eliza Jane all of the way from Australia. I am gonna be the queen of animation. Oh, that is epic. And that I am is- gonna be the female Seth MacFarlane. Bring it on, Seth. I am gonna challenge you with my female <laughs> powers. I began to engage a lot more on social media, and because of that, I ended up meeting a fantastic comedian who later on performed at one of our networking parties named Ahmed Al-Qadri. I'm gonna be uh, like falling in front of a fountain and then the video is gonna go viral and I'm probably gonna get famous for that. I'm pretty clumsy. (laughs) 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 I'm gonna be famous as a stand-up comedian. It's on my vision board. My late night, my first late night set would be on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. That's what I'll be famous for. Around late October, right before Halloween, I actually was able to land another client named Ashwini Prasad. Before she became my client, 
I interviewed her on my podcast and we got to talk about her experience as an anti-racist educator and her pursuit of storytelling and screenwriting. Oh, I love it. That is the <laughs> most fantastic question um, for two things. One is I am going to be famous for having media that and brings back people that are erased or marginalized from history. That's what my Instagram account is dedicated to. So, you know, for example, do people know that uh, the first um, deputy marshal west of the Mississippi was a black man, Bass Reeves? Or just recently, I posted um, two days ago, a day ago, did you know that Alexander Dumas, the guy that wrote Count of Monte Cristo and the Three Musketeers, that he was a quarter Afro-Caribbean? His grandma was an, an enslaved Afro-Caribbean woman um, in what we call Haiti now. So I'm gonna be known for bringing those folks into her screens. And the second thing that I'm gonna be known for, which is one of my other missions in life and why I'm here, is to create safe spaces in the entertainment industry. It absolutely kills me when I hear about the Epsteins and the Weinsteins and what they have done and what other people are probably continuing to do. That is not okay. It makes, it breaks my heart to think of the talent that we've never seen because these folks weren't really given a fair shot. And so I wanna be part of creating safe spaces. And even today, you're probably hearing a lot about the inclusion efforts of different networks and making sure that different production crews are diverse and diverse crews. So that's admirable and I understand. But then if we're gonna talk about inclusion and belonging, what happens when they're on the production sets? Are people going to be sabotaging them? Are they going to be talking behind their back? I'm going to create safe spaces so that people truly cannot just be coming in and be left all alone. They're going to be feeling included and being excited to be in this industry. And they're going to want to be at places because they feel safe. And that's what equity, fairness and justice in media is gonna is important to me and what I want to be promoting um, for the entertainment industry and kind of right right the wrongs. Today we produce a podcast called the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast, and you need to check it out. You can find it on our website under the podcast tab. Now, as the year continued, there had been quite a bit of reflection on my end to do. I was regularly seeing a therapist. Shout out to Sharon Reagan. My therapist helped me a ton with dealing with the strife that I experienced in coping with the losses I had that year. On top of that, I had a lot of difficulty coming to terms with living with my parents as a full-grown 25-year-old while watching my friends from afar live as great of a life as they could during a pandemic, but at least doing it independent from their family. And there I was living in my parents' home as an only child, which means that all the attention was on me, scrapping to prove that I truly am an adult. But while reflecting, it was easy to fall into some sort of escapism, and I recalled my amazing travels while traveling Europe with Nick Benjamin, Josh Miller, and Dylan Weiss. Oh, God. <laughs> no, don't do yeah, that. Yeah, just, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. No, <laughs> do we, do we no, what with no, this no, no. Go make sure that... Chaz knows how a bidet works so that he could explain to you how a bidet works. I've already explained it actually on a previous to, episode. We had to tell Chaz a number of times that it's not for your face. <laughs> <laughs> it is not a face wash area. It is not, it's not what you expect. No, 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 no. It was also important for me to pursue what looking at the professional side of 
arts and entertainment is. And so I interviewed a multi-talented artist named Christian Aluash who talked about freelance. And so I actually was challenged to read his book before the interview. I did so and came to that interview quite prepared. I, Christian S. Aluash, will be famous for being an artist, maybe the greatest artist that ever lived. Because of my networking events, I later on met Selena Elise Fraga, who actually is the person who edits all of these podcasts that are in my network. She always does the first pass, removing the ums, butts, and stutters. But when she's not editing my podcasts, she's predominantly working as a music producer, getting her music out there. I will be famous for becoming this, not only an actress, singer, but this collaborator. I want to be famous for the right reasons and to give to the world. So whenever I make it, you make it. And we all make it together. So I just bring everybody with me and we all create great magic with good intentions and make this world a better place and not full of negativity that I've been getting since I've gotten here. Because that ain't gonna roll when I become famous. Putting my foot down on that. I continued to challenge the kind of artist that we brought on, and so I actually brought on a stress relief consultant that had a focus with screenwriters. I'm gonna be famous for helping people embody presence at such a level that they feel deep peace and comfort in just existing in every space and feeling comfortable and confident with everybody. Finally, it was Christmas, and I actually was feeling just about as jolly as anyone else was during this time. Jennifer Brofer was brought onto the show for the Christmas special, and she taught me a lot about gratitude in that interview. I'm going to be famous for filmmaking. I'm gonna make a really awesome film, a feature film, and everyone will know about it in a few years. And that is what I'm gonna be known for. Yeah. <laughs> now, around late December, something really exciting happened where a gentleman by the name of Greg Greenberg reached out to me on LinkedIn. I honestly thought it was just another cold prospecting call, but something really fascinating happened. He told me about the C-Suite Network. He told me about this group of prestigious entrepreneurs that he wanted me to enter. And the reason why is because the C-Suite Network also had its own radio and podcast department. Naturally, they wanted me to jump in because by that point, I had several podcasts produced under my belt that were ongoing projects. They said that they wanted me to come in because that would increase their viewership for the overall podcast that they had done. Naturally, it didn't take long for me to say yes. And so I became an executive C-suite member. This was one of the first networks I joined in that raised my professional stature. Transitioning my podcast along with everyone else's podcast wasn't the easiest task in the world, but once it was complete, it was very easy sailing from there. Speaking of networks, my personal network was also beginning to grow sevenfold. And in doing so, Izzy and I decided to implement a volunteer executive committee within the Mr. Thrive Network. In doing so, we brought on Matt Stoner, who was a gentleman that I had personally assisted while he was making his film, I Wrote This For You. It was very natural for me to interview Matt Stoner and bring him onto the show to talk about his craft as an actor and a producer and a musician. Is creating too broad of an answer? Let's see what you got. It's, it's hard. I want to be John Favreau because he's the most unassuming sort of person. But if you look at his credit list, 
He directed and wrote Elf. He created The Mandalorian. He is this spectacular actor. He directs films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and is an executive producer. The only thing that he doesn't do that I know of that I would like to do is music. So if John Favreau had a little bit of music sprinkled into him, goals. By now, it was episode 49 in early February. And I had joined another amazing network as well, joining Provisors to market my podcast production as a marketing tool to fellow business owners. As my network began to grow in professional stature, so did some of the colleagues that I had worked with on film sets prior to this entire journey. Once I found out that my friend Romel Villa won an award, not just any award, but the Student Academy Award from Spike Lee himself on a Zoom call, I had to bring him on the show. I think I would love to be remembered for stories that I tell. I'm really not afraid of like exploring taboos, difficult subjects, showcasing stories of misrepresented people and communities that didn't have a voice for stories that are considered, you know, taboo. The weirder they are, the better they are to me. Like make stories that show the beauty of the society that we are not used to uh, watching or experiencing or living. If people could say that, oh, I watched, you know, like a movie or a project or something of Rumel that where I learned about this person or this community or, or you know, or, or about these stereotypes and like it just brought up conversations about life and things, then that would definitely be something really nice to see, you know, this might be like a pageanty answer to give, but I think I believe that we can all do something to make the world better. And I feel like that if through film, I can send, you know, some sort of message that opens up conversation for people, then by all means, I'll, I'll do my best to make that happen. Towards the end of February, one thing that had been on the back of my mind was that, again, there is an opportunity to put our values before anything else within this company. And so I brought on Dr. Walt Whitman, who actually is a choral conductor for the Soul Children of Chicago. We ended up creating a collaboration and pulled off one of the most ambitious networking parties because of it, where the Soul Children of Chicago alumni performed at the event. We had an actual vocal DJ set perform for 10 minutes straight, along with a blues band that played some phenomenal music. I think what I'm gonna be known for is inspiring youth. Because of what I've done with the Soul Children, people know me they really see me as this, first of all, as the master conductor. I think people will know me as this inspirational person and a builder of global leaders. That my legacy will live on through the kids because I have planted enough seed and there's enough out there that what I've done and what I do will live on. Wherever you go, make sure that you leave such a mark that it cannot be erased. So everywhere I go, I make sure wherever I go, you don't know I was there. <laughs> and I use the, the, the analogy of cologne. If you find somebody that has a really nice cologne and you know that they wear cologne and they've been in a room, but then they left, but you know them because of the cologne so that even after they're gone, you can still smell it, you know? You still know that they were there. And I feel like that's the perfume, you know, the fragrance. That whatever I go, you know, whether I'm in Europe, whatever we do, they're going to always know we were there. We're going to leave something in the atmosphere that's going to always know that. And then the season was over. 
And of course, I started an April Fool's special this month. But the story is incomplete. And we're at this exciting point now where the sky is the limit. We've rebranded the podcast to be the Mr. Thrive Podcast. So that way, our name isn't a mouthful. And also, because we want the image of the company and the image of the podcast to be in sync with one another. I have so many exciting plans for this year. The excitement that I feel is a testament to the effort that you guys have put into this show. I want to thank everyone who has been on this show. I want to thank my parents for supporting me during this time. I want to thank one of my sales mentors, Michael Gordon, for supporting me during this time. I want to say thank you to my close friend circles who have inspired me and motivated me to continue going during this time. I want to personally give a shout out to Eli Anderson, who has helped me lose so much weight. I feel good. I feel healthy. I'm also feeling empowered and I'm feeling excited about what we can do with this company and grow with it. I am a firm believer that there are no such thing as audiences, that there are only communities. There's no such thing as a Star Wars audience. There is the Star Wars community. I'm a part of it. That's how I feel about the Mr. Thrive Network. This network is a community. Mr. Thrive Media is going to have a community built around it of people that are interested in collaborating and growing together. Now, Mr. Thrive might be a direct call to me, but the reality is anybody can be Mr. Thrive or Miss Thrive or however you identify. I bring this up because I want everyone who interacts with what we do, whether it's our podcasts, whether it's our networking events, I want them to feel like they can easily reach out to anybody, including me, to get connected with someone that can help them grow in their careers and their personal journey. You can contact me at any time. My email is no secret. Email chaz at mrthrive.com to get connected, to grow and to get inspired. Email me so I can help you. Even if it's not about arts entertainment, I want you to know that I am there for you and that you are not alone. Connect with us on our socials at Mr. Thrive Media across all social media platforms. That includes Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're probably going to be engaging people on Clubhouse as well. It's going to be fun to do, but I also know it's going to take a lot of work. So stay tuned on that note. Izzy and I have been conceptualizing what Mr. Thrive Media is going to look like after the pandemic. I will not say any more than that, but let me tell you right now, our amazing committee has helped us tremendously with figuring that question out. Shout out to Carmen Vincent, Matt Stoner, Chris Malkus, and Judd Angel. To me, this is more than just a company. To me, this is a personal testament to the amount that I've gained. And what I mean by that is because I've talked a lot about loss in this recording. I've come to realize that despite the loss that was so easy for me to focus on, I gained so much more. That terrible week where I got laid off and I sprayed my ankle and saw my ex, that was actually the best thing that could have happened to me. Even though it was incredibly painful, it sparked this journey that allowed me to grow in this unprecedented way. Even though this pandemic has been a struggle to go through, I will always look back at this experience fondly as it was a time of great growth for me. There are a lot less things I take for granted now because of the tools that have been given to me to find gratitude and inner happiness. One of the major influences that changed my perspective with that mindset is Rabbi Jack Malol from Aishlit. Thank you, Rabbi. So thank you for listening to this rant. Thank you for listening to this recap. Thank you for letting me be vulnerable with you guys. I will always continue to be vulnerable for that matter. But this episode in particular just allowed me to put all my cards out on the table and not hide anything. Thank you guys for listening. And I'm excited for you guys to witness season three. Enjoy.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.